Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find these verses on page 1003. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is the very Word of God. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the preaching and the reading of His Word here this morning. Father God, as we come before You, we come before You hungry. We come before You thirsty. We come before You needy. And we ask that You would cause Your Word to meet our needs this morning. May it be for us our daily bread. May it be for us that living water that wells up to an eternal spring. Father God, would you use your word today to open the eyes of our hearts to see you in all your glory and to see your Son as our great high priest, appointed by you to make atonement for our sins. Father, give us eyes to see him, that we might love him, that we might rest upon him, And that we might go forth in His grace to serve Him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, the author is following up on what he has just said at the end of chapter 4. So look look back with me at the the end of chapter 4. Those those three verses that I used as our call to worship this morning. the, The verses that we looked at last Sunday. In those verses, we are called upon to hold fast to our confession and with the confidence of that confession to draw near to the throne of grace. And the promise is this, that if we will draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, then at the throne, we will receive mercy and we will find grace for help in our time of need, because we have a high priest who is there, ready and able 
to serve us. And so as we come to God's Word this morning, the question that you should come with is this. Where do I need God's grace this morning? What is my time of need? Where are you being tempted to to drift from Christ? Where are you being tempted to outright deny Him? Because the costs of following Him are simply too high. Higher than you expected. Higher than you bargained for. Where do you need God's grace this morning? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe the costs of loving your spouse have become higher than you ever Imagine Maybe a difference of opinion or, or a difference of, of priority has, has led to, to conflict that has made it difficult for you to deny yourself and put the interest of the other ahead of your own. Maybe you're facing that in parenting. Maybe you have a child who isn't living according to the Word. A child who has wandered away. A child who is breaking your heart and making your life difficult. And the cost of continuing to love them well, the cost of of continuing to to parent them are, are mounting. And you're wondering if it's worth it. For some of you children, maybe it's in your friendships at school. Maybe you are beginning to wonder whether it's really worth it to follow Jesus because it it seems to constantly lead you into some sort of difficulty or some sort of of trouble. It makes you the butt of the joke. It, It makes you the one who's on the outside. Maybe it's at your place of employment. Maybe following Jesus is is leading you into conflict with your with your boss or or maybe even putting you on his blacklist. Maybe it's simply a question of of health. Your health is is failing, or the health of of someone you you love, and you you feel abandoned, and you don't know if it's worth it to keep following. The list could go on, of course. We each have our own stories. We each have our own experiences of, of need. We each face that temptation to to drift, if not outright deny Christ. To to go our own way, to rely upon our own wisdom, to do things in the way that seems best to us, rather than continuing to follow Jesus, when to do so feels an awful lot like dying. But whatever your area of need... Whatever it is this morning, the author of Hebrews wants you to know that the grace that you need is available to you. The grace that you need is offered to all who hold fast to their confession and approach with boldness the throne of grace. You see, if you will approach God's throne with confidence, not not confidence in yourself, That would be hubris. That would be foolishness. But if you are approached with a confidence firmly rooted in who Jesus is for you as your great high priest, if you will approach with that confidence, with that reverence, then you will receive mercy. And you will receive help 
in your time of need. All that you need to stand firm, all that you need to hold fast is offered to you if you will come. And so the question is, how, how do we get that confidence? How do, we, how do we develop such boldness to come before God boldly, to come before Him confidently that we will indeed receive what we need? Where do we find the boldness to ask? That's the question. And really, that's the question that these verses are written to answer. He, he writes these verses. He gives us this portrait of Christ that we, in seeing Christ, might become bold to approach the throne of grace. And what He wants us to see in particular is that Jesus is our high priest. He does this by, by comparing Him to the high priest of old. Notice verses 1-4. through four. He tells us that every high priest chosen from among men, that is, all of the, the human high priests from the Old Testament, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So, so that's the first thing that we see about Old Testament priests, that they are appointed to be a mediator between God and men. They, they act on behalf of men in relationship to God, and particularly they act as those who offer sacrifices of atonement. Those who offer the necessary sacrifices that a sinner might come into the presence of God. Remember Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may come into the presence of God? Only He who has clean hands and a pure heart. If you have any degree of self-awareness, you know that that disqualifies you. You know that, that, that you can not come under those requirements. You need a priest. You need one to, to cover your sins. You need one to, to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. You need one to make you right. That you might come into the presence of the living God. And that's what the Old Testament priests were for. They were appointed by God to offer sacrifices for sins. And the very fact that they were appointed by God to offer sacrifices for sins suggests to us that, that they will then be able to deal gently with sinners. In fact, that's what the Scripture says. Notice the second thing that he tells us about these Old Testament priests is that they were able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because he himself is beset with sin. And so, so he is a, a, a priest who, who makes atonement. He is also a priest who does so gently, patiently with those who are sinners. He doesn't take this honor for himself. He doesn't just decide, well, I'm going I'm to make atonement for, for men in the presence of God. No one could decide to do such a thing on their own, but rather he is appointed for the task by God himself. He is appointed just as Aaron was. And what we see in the rest of the text, beginning at verse 5, is that Jesus fulfills all that the Old Testament priests represented. All that the Old Testament priests pointed to. All that they showed us we needed, we now receive in Christ. The Old Testament priests were, were but a shadow. The sacrifices that they offered were but the blood of, of bulls and goats. And the author of Hebrews tells us that, that in themselves such sacrifices do not cover sin. The blood of bulls and, and goats could never truly reconcile us to God, but they were a picture of what we needed. 
And in Christ, the substance has come. He is the great high priest. He is the the better high priest. He is the high priest who fulfills all that the Old Testament priests promised through God's Word. And so let's notice how Jesus fulfills these this picture of of what a high priest is. First, moving backwards through the list, He is our appointed high priest. This is the the last thing that He tells us about the the Old Testament priests. He tells us in in verse 4 that no one takes this honor for himself. No one just decided that they were going to be a priest, but rather the priests were priests because God said, you will be my priests. God took them. God called them. God made them priests. They were appointed. They didn't decide for themselves. In fact, when some tried to decide for themselves, it didn't go well. But they were appointed by God. But Jesus is the same, the author tells us. Verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt Himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by Him who said to Him, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. And says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we'll come to this language of Melchizedek in in the future when we get to to chapter 7. We'll we'll unpack what it means for him to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. But for now, all I want you to see this morning is simply this, that, that Jesus was appointed. We hadn't heard him earlier called our apostle. He was our sent one. He was sent by the Father on this Mission. Yes, he, he took it willingly. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. He, he willingly took the, the, the baton that was handed to him by the Father. But it was handed to him by the Father. He was sent by the Father on this mission. He was appointed to this task. And that's significant. It is significant to know that Jesus was was appointed by the Father. Because the truth of the matter is that we do not come to God. We have no right to come to God on our own terms. We do not negotiate or, or dictate our relationship with God. But rather, we can come to Him only as He invites us. We can come into His presence only as He allows. He is the King. We are the creature. We are His subjects. Subject to Him in every way. Created by Him and for Him. And therefore, we cannot simply come to God on our own terms. And it's vital that we see this. It's vital that we see this because, because our lives depend on it. We have, we have two Old Testament stories that illustrate this point. The, the first occurs very early on when Aaron's own sons, Nadab and Abihu, decide to come into the presence of God with unauthorized fire. There's a lot of speculation about what exactly that means. What what exactly does it mean that they came with unauthorized fire? And the the truth of the matter is, we we don't know for sure, but we know it was unauthorized. We know it was not the fire that the Lord had commanded. They came in their own way. They came according to their own imaginations. They came according to their own dictates. 
and their hubris was punished with death. They died there in the presence of the Lord because they came to God on their own terms. We see something similar much later in Israel's history when David has been anointed king of Israel and he has decided to bring the ark into the capital, into Jerusalem. And as the ark is being brought, it is being brought on a cart pulled by oxen. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that's not how the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried. It was supposed to be carried by the Levites on these poles of of gold-covered wood. But the people had forgotten. They They had forgotten God's Word. They had forgotten God's instructions. And so they just presumed. Well, if you want to move a cart, if you want to move an Ark, you use a cart. And so they placed the the ark on the cart and they were bringing it into the capital. And as they came, the ox stumbled and and Uzzah, one of those walking with the cart, reached out his hand to steady it. And he was struck dead. He died because he approached the throne of grace. That's what the ark was. It was the the footstool of God's throne. the, The place where God's presence was manifest with His people. And he approached on his own terms, in his own way. You see, our God is a holy God. And as such, He is a consuming fire. And we cannot simply come into His presence on our own terms. Even before the fall, we could approach Him only by His mercy and His grace. Even before the fall, we were utterly dependent upon His condescension to us. And how much more so after the fall, after we were polluted by sin, after we made ourselves rebels and and traitors against His, His throne. We come only by His grace. We come only on His terms. And that is why it is vital for us to know that there has been a priest appointed by God Himself to lead us there. You see, when we come to God other than Jesus Christ, when we, when we decide that, that we will come on our own terms and we will go our own way, we make ourselves like Nadab and Abihu. We come with unauthorized fire. We come in our own arrogance. And the consequence of such coming can be nothing other than death. We cannot come into God's presence on our own, but we don't have to. Because He is a gracious God. And in His mercy and in His grace, He has appointed a priest. In our arrogance, we sometimes object that Jesus is the only way. But our marvel ought not to be that God is so limited, but that He is so gracious to provide a way at all. For rebels like us to come, He has pointed to Jesus and He said, He is the appointed priest. Come with your confidence firmly rooted in Him. And not only is He appointed for this task, that is first, yes, He is the one appointed to be our high priest, but He... He is one who is also 
tasted our weaknesses and is therefore able to deal gently. Again, we we see this was true of the Old Testament priest there in verse 2. Notice what he says. He can deal gently. Speaking of the, the Old Testament high priest, he says he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. The the Old Testament priest could, could never turn away sinners because they were sinners. Because if he turned away sinners from being sinners, he would have to turn away himself. He himself was beset with, with weakness. He himself was, was, was beset with, with sin. And therefore, the Old Testament people knew that if they came with the sacrifices, the priest would be gentle, he would be gracious, he would receive them. He stood ready to to help both the wayward and the ignorant. Think about those two words for a moment. There, There are two ways in which we make ourselves sinners. Sometimes it is through ignorance. Sometimes it is it is through simply not knowing. What God requires. Now sometimes ignorance is willful. Always ignorance is culpable. But it is still ignorance. We, we don't know, like Uzzah. We have forgotten God's Word. and We don't remember how the ark is to be carried. And so we have the best of intentions. But we're still in disobedience. Other times are... Sin is more intentional, more high-handed. We are rebellious, like Aaron's sons. We simply choose to do what we want to do rather than what God has commanded. As you look at your own life, you probably see something of both sins, both types of sins mixed together. There are times when you are ignorant and there are times when you are Wayward. But notice, sin is sin. Whether you are ignorant or whether you are wayward, you are guilty before God, and you are by that sin cut off from His presence. Whether you are ignorant or whether you are wayward, you are unclean and unfit to to approach God's throne. But... God is gracious. And He provides a way for sinners to come to Him. He provides us with a priest who is able to deal gently. And we see that Jesus is just such a priest. Not because He had sin Himself. He did not. The author has already told us that. He is like us as we are in every way, yet without sin. He did not share our sin, but He did share our weakness. We we see this in verse 7. Notice what the author says. He says, in the days of His flesh. Even that that word flesh there is a a word which which speaks of His human frailty. that, That the eternal Son becomes flesh. He, he becomes incarnate. He, he takes to himself a true human nature with all the, the limitations and, and weaknesses and infirmities that that entails. In the days of his flesh, notice, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He cried out to his father with loud cries and tears. Because he knew his weakness. 
In humility, he had humbled himself and he had, he had become entirely dependent upon his Father's mercy. And he knew that the road that, that stood before him was hard and narrow. He knew that he needed God's grace and so he cried out for it. We see him doing this throughout his public ministry, but we, we see it especially on that last night in the garden. As he cries out to God for mercy. He says, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Give me the strength. Glorify your Son that I might glorify you. Cries out to God from his weakness, from his position of, of complete dependence. And we're told that because he knew weakness, and because he acknowledged his weakness, and because he came before the throne seeking grace with reverence, he was heard. What is that reverence that is spoken of? Well, of course, it is a, is it a reverence that, that reveres God, that reveres the Father. It is a, a reverence that acknowledges His own weakness and in, in God's ability to supply. It is a reverence that does, that does not presume to stand on its own feet, but, but entrusts itself wholly to the grace of the Father. And because he approached with reverence, because he approached in weakness, he was heard. And we can now know by his example that if we will approach with the same reverence, we too will be heard. If we will approach with a reverence that acknowledges that, that God is God and we are not, and that we are entirely dependent upon Him, that we are entirely dependent upon His mercy, that it is only by His grace that we will be able to stand if we will approach with the same reverence that says, Lord, not my will, but Yours be done. Then we will receive help in our time of need. Now notice what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that, that He will necessarily lift us out of the trouble. We're told that, that Jesus was heard because of His reverence. And yet, remember how that story unfolds. Jesus was heard, but He still went to the cross. Jesus was heard, but He still suffered and died. What then does it mean to say that He was heard? It means that He was saved from death. Not that he did not have to die, but that death had no sting for him. He endured the wrath of God, but God brought him through. God raised him again on the third day. And because Jesus died upon the cross, because Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us and was saved through that experience, we can now be saved in Him. You see, all the grace that you need is available to you at the cross, but that doesn't mean that He will necessarily lift you out of your trouble. He doesn't necessarily mean that He will make it all go away. But it does mean that your troubles cannot harm you. It does mean that whatever afflictions He causes you to endure will be slight and momentary compared to the weight of glory that will be yours in Christ. You see, in this life, we will have trouble. In this life, 
we will continue to groan because in this life we will continue to suffer. I cannot stand before you today and promise that whatever your hour of need, that that it will be brief or that it will go away quickly or that God will, will, will reverse your fortunes before the end of the week. I can make no such promises because Scripture makes no such promises. But I can say, who is there to harm you if you are His? The afflictions you endure will be slight and momentary compared to the weight of glory that is yours in Christ. And all of the grace that you need to hold fast to your confession, even in the midst of your need, is available to you at the cross. Because you have a high priest who entered into your weakness that He might bring you through your weakness into the strength of eternal life. And that's the last point that we see here this morning about Jesus. Is that He is now the source of eternal salvation for those who obey Him. We saw the same thing about the Old Testament priests. Again, remember we were told that they were appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God by offering gifts and sacrifices for sins. They were the ones appointed to make the sacrifices that that covered over our sins. But the sacrifices they made were but a shadow, the blood of bulls and goats. But now Christ has come. And He has offered not the blood of bulls and goats, but His own precious blood. We have been ransomed not with silver and gold, not with the mere blood of animals, not with with anything earthly, but we have been ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb, without blemish or spot. He is now the source of our eternal salvation. Now there are a couple difficult phrases here in what the the author says about Jesus as as our atoning priest. He he says first that he learned obedience. What could that possibly mean? What does it, it mean to say that he learned obedience? Well, clearly it doesn't mean that he moved from disobedience to obedience. He he isn't like a rebellious child who has to learn to obey. It's not what he is he is speaking, but there was no point in Jesus' life when he was disobedient, but he had to learn what obedience means experientially. There was a point in my life when I decided I was going to train to run a 5K. It was a long time ago. But I had a certain time goal in mind that I, that I wanted to run, and, and I knew that if I was going to run that time, it was going to hurt. I, I knew that even before I started, but I had to learn the cost of training by actually running. We learn by experience. We, we use this sort of language all the time. Well, you know, but you don't really know until you've done it. Jesus knew the cost of obedience when He left His Father's presence to, to be incarnate on earth. He, he knew what He was getting into, but He learned obedience experientially by going through it. And in that process of learning obedience... He was made perfect. That's another difficult phrase for us because we wonder what could it mean for Jesus to be made perfect. But we've actually already encountered this phrase earlier in in chapter 2 when we were told that He was made perfect through what He suffered. 
It's the same here that he was made perfect through what he, he suffered. But you have to again remember that this is not Jesus going from imperfection to perfection. But rather to be perfect is to be complete. To be fully fit for the task that, that he has been given. And it was necessary for Jesus to go through his suffering that he might be our Savior. Again, we, we see that in the garden as, as Jesus prays, take this cup from me. The fact that the Father remains silent, the fact that He does not remove the cup, teaches us that it was necessary for Him to drink that cup if we were to be saved. And it is in this sense that Jesus becomes our perfect Savior through what He suffered. He had to go to the cross. It's why His rebuke of Peter was so sharp. Get behind me, Satan. You have not in mind the things of God, but the things of the devil. If I do not go to the cross, the Father's plan is undone. If I do not go to the cross, there is no salvation for, for sinners. And so He becomes our perfect Savior through what He suffers. And notice the third thing that He says, that that salvation is now available to all who obey Him. That's not what we expect. We expect Him to say that that salvation is available to, to all who believe. Isn't that what He says in John 3.16? That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish? Is the author of Hebrews here teaching us a, a different gospel? That this salvation is for those who, who obey? Of course not. This is no different gospel. But it is a recognition that the faith that receives Jesus Christ is a faith that expresses itself in obedience. That when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will live differently because of that faith. When we acknowledge Him as, as Lord and, and King and Savior, that acknowledgement will shape our lives. It's why throughout the entire book of Hebrews we, we see this almost um, a correlation between obedience and faith. To, to believe is to obey and to disobey is to walk in unbelief. They are tied together in the Christian life. We do not earn our salvation we receive it as a gift by faith, but it's a faith that obeys. And therefore, he says, without denying the gospel, that this salvation is for all who obey, for all who walk in obedience to the Son, for all who, who receive and rest upon Him alone for their salvation. And of course, part of that obedience is repentance. When we fall short, we, we do not promise to try harder. We do not seek to atone for our own sins. But when we fall short, when we sin, we take those sins to the cross. And we say, Father, we have sinned against You and we have no hope save in Your sovereign mercy. And part of our obedience is that renewing of our confidence that His grace is greater than all our sins. And so we walk in new obedience to the One who's been appointed to serve as our High Priest and to give grace to the wayward and the ignorant. That's the picture that the author wants you to see. That's the, the portrait of Jesus that, that He wants you to see because when you begin to see Jesus, 
as your appointed, gentle, atoning high priest, it will give you confidence to come before Him boldly, seeking grace for help in your time of need. And those times will come regularly. A time of need is not something that we experience here and there. It is something that we experience constantly. We are needy people. We need His grace to hold fast to our confession. The the temptations to turn to the right and to the left, they, they buffet us from every direction and from every angle. We are lured by the enticement of, of sin and we are pressured by the, the pain of, of trial. The testing comes and it is constant. So long as we remain in these mortal bodies, Peter tells us that those temptations will continue to wage war against our soul. But here's the promise. That if we come to the throne of the King, there we will find all the grace we need to hold fast to our confession. There we will find everything we need to walk as becomes followers of the Son. Because God has appointed a high priest for us. A high priest who entered into our weakness that He might provide eternal salvation for all who believe and obey Him. And because we have such a high priest... That is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for this picture of Jesus. And we ask that You would give us eyes to see Him. And that You would give us grace to rest upon Him. Both now and every day. As long as it is called today, Father. May we entrust ourselves to you in his name, and for his name's sake. And this we pray in his name. Amen.